2: And
3: a very good Friday morning to you as we welcome you along to another edition of the programme. Bernie's on her own taking her calls today because John Paul and Sadie are off. Uh, So if you want to make contact, give Bernie a call, 1850-333-103. Texts and WhatsApps already coming in. Keep them coming to 086 to 103 103 and I've just seen a text in from a listener saying Patricia the furniture shops open they are the furniture shops uh, all reopened last Monday week when they allowed all retail stores uh, to open so yeah furniture shops are uh, back up and running and actually I was talking with a friend of mine who works in a furniture shop and by all accounts some of them are quite busy. Uh, Probably a lot to do with the fact that people have come out of lockdown and haven't been able to spend money and there has been even though it went against government advice it seems there's been a lot of dickying up of houses has gone on and when you're doing up a house if you start painting and decorating it's when a room is nicely you know freshly painted you start looking at bits of furniture and it might start looking a bit grubby and you might think oh maybe I need something new there so I think that could be one of the reasons that some furniture shops are certainly saying that they are busy but yeah furniture shops are uh, open summer weddings and the opening of hairdressers looking like they are officially going to get the go ahead today to open at the end of the month it's been seen If it is announced as what's expected to be announced, it's going to be a major step. Out of the COVID-19 lockdown. The Cabinet are expected to loosen restrictions across a broad range of pressing areas of social and economic life. They're meeting today to consider the next phase of the roadmap. And the next phase of the ro- roadmap is on June the 29th, so Monday uh, week. It'll be good news for hotels. It'll be good news for B&Bs because it will mean that people will be able to start taking holidays in Ireland from the end of June. It had been looking like if people wanted to get away on any kind of a staycation that we wouldn't be able to do it until the 20th of July but it looks like now in what's expected to be announced today it'll be from the 29th of June. Couples whose wedding plans have been on hold they're certainly going to get some kind of relief because they should hopefully find out some more details today. It looks like it still will be small gatherings but what's a small gathering? 25 people might be a small gathering to to me and to you. You might consider 100 people at a wedding a small gathering and that's the dilemma that couples have found themselves in particularly the couples and there have been some very brave couples rather than cancel and transfer their wedding to next year there's been some couples have said no I'm going to hang in there my wedding's in July my wedding's in August my wedding's in September surely things will be a little bit better and there are couples just hanging in there waiting to see uh, so they will definitely be waiting on an announcement uh, today also expecting new guidelines to be issued for areas of culture and for entertainment things like cinemas and theatres I've heard it mentioned the gyms may be included in the roadmap to open on the 29th of, of June again uh, it's, it's guidance is what people are, are, going to, are going to look for if they say they can be opened under are there going to be strict terms of terms conditions is social distancing is it going to be two metres is it going to be one metre will there be a time span on the amount of time someone can spend on on a business and hairdressers. Certainly hairdressers have done a lot of work in what they have put in place as an industry, how they see themselves as opening up so whether all of those guidelines will be put in place or not. Before people start asking, are beauticians included in that? I can't find anything on beauticians. I would assume if they allow hairdressers to open then they'll, they'll allow beauticians to open because they do, in a sense, they're similar work in there as close to their customer. A beautician will be as close to their customer as, as a hairdresser is to his or her customer or a barber. So I, I would assume... If they allow hairdressers to go beauticians as well, but we won't, we don't know. We we literally don't know. All we do know is that Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Tony Houlihan, confirmed that the National Public Health Emergency Team, NEFIT, they met yesterday. They drew up advice on what should be included in the June 29th phase of uh, the roadmap. They've now passed it on to the government and they're hoping that it will bring clarity to the various sectors. We already knew, of course, that restaurants and pubs that serve food a substantial meal it has to be. We know that they're already going to be back in business on that date, the 29th of June. Dr Tony Houlahan confirmed yesterday, this is when he was asked about the restaurants and the pubs serving food. He was asked, would would customers have to wear face masks? Which to me didn't make any sense if you're going in for a meal and a drink. And he said, no, there will be no need. Um, And the reason behind it was, he said, when you go into a restaurant or you go into a gastro pub you're going to be sitting down, you're not going to be moving uh, around. So he said, for now, no, he sees no recommendation that somebody should wear a face mask going into a restaurant. But he said he didn't rule it out in the uh, future. I mean, to me, it would make no sense to have people wearing face masks inside in a restaurant, because if anything, you're going to have people touching their face all the more, taking the mask off, putting the mask on taking the mask off. And, you know, how, how would you work that in a restaurant that you leave the mask on while you order your food, then your food, your starter arrives, so you take your mask off. Do you put your mask back on while you're waiting for your main course? It just, to me, wouldn't make any sense. And to me, it would have too many people fiddling with putting masks on and off, which is what we're told is the very dangerous thing to do when it comes to uh, face masks. He also said yesterday that pubs that do not serve food are the ones that will be the most at risk in terms of transmission of the virus now the pubs that don't serve food are the pubs that are not going to be able to open until the 20th of July and he uh, he also said that there is still an amount of work to do around how they are going to operate uh, safely and i really think for the for the publicans and the people who work in that sector i do think they need to be getting the guidance now and whatever work needs to be done, and how it needs to be done, and how those pubs will open safely, particularly if we have Neffert already worried and saying in risks of transmission of the virus, it's the pub scene is the one that they most worry about. So, what can we do in order to make sure on the 20th of July, when the pubs open, that we don't then, say, in two weeks' time, see a spike in the number of coronavirus cases? Because I think nobody wants us to be in a situation where we do this reopening of the country. After After everybody going through quite a tough lockdown, we don't want a situation where we we reopen. We discover we shouldn't have reopened that particular sector, or we opened it too early, and then we're going to be back to square one again. I think nobody wants that. There was a further four deaths announced uh, and reported yesterday, and there were sixteen new uh, cases of uh, COVID nineteen. Twenty three patients remain in intensive care. That number is dropping uh, all the time and is remaining low, which certainly is uh, good, good news. Philip Nolan is the man from Enuith. University who tracks the spread of the virus. He said overall the level of infection here, it's remaining low, it's remaining stable. But he says it'll be another week before the impact of the most recent re-opens will, reopenings will be known for sure. So far Everything is tracking on course and there hasn't been any increase but certainly by this time next week we will know for sure if Phase 2, which we opened last Monday week, we'll know for sure if that has been uh, successful. The reproductive number is still below 1. It's close to Uh, 0.7 and he said it's heartening to see that none of the data suggests that there is a significant increase of transmission of COVID-19 in the community since the commencement of Phase 2. I mean, that to me tells me that Phase 2 we we opened up the right sector in phase two and that it is working and that people are abiding by social distancing and the hand hygiene, uh, etc. The one announcement that was made yesterday that kind of got me thinking, going, whoa, that's a worry, was there was an increase in people bringing the virus here from abor- abroad. Airline travellers from the UK and Sweden were, no, it's fewer than 10. It's, it is a very low number, uh, but they airline travellers from the UK and Sweden who arrived into this country in the past 10 days, fewer than 10, tested positive for the uh, virus and that is the first time in many months that we have had a COVID-19 positive case that we can say was attributed to somebody travelling abroad. Remember in the very early days when they would be calling out the numbers, when we had huge numbers and they would be saying how many of them were from nursing homes, how many of them were picked up in the community or how many of them were linked to travel we haven't had a case linked to travel for many many months because of course what is it, ninety nine? We've ninety-nine percent we less flights coming in and out of the country. So people weren't travelling. So the advice is still from Nefit that travelling abroad, you only travel abroad for non essential trips. But that to me caused me a little bit of a worry, the fact and I know it's fewer than ten, so fewer than ten say it's nine, but you know, if it's nine people who had travelled abroad and came they came back or they came into the country with COVID nineteen. I mean we're trying to eradicate it in this country and then do we eradicate it and then every week so many people bring it into the country. I mean, this is where we really are going to have to wake up and smell the coffee around people coming into the country and what do we do? Do we start testing at the airport? I mean, the advice remains in place that anyone who arrives here on a flight must self quarantine for a fortnight and that's been extended now that was due to finish on the 18th of June i think it was due to finish they've extended that ruling now for another three three weeks people who come here they must self quarantine for uh, two weeks, philip Nolan our Professor Nolan said that the numbers infected are now less likely to be in the workplace or in nursing homes, and the greater proportion now are picked up in the in the community are in private homes are will we be bringing them, on people who are coming into this um, country. So, I I mean, I really do think that's something that needs to be watched and watched very, very carefully. They're still not advocating that the self-quarantine should be mandatory. They're just asking people to self-quarantine. But remember, it is still not mandatory in this uh, country. We'll keep an eye on that figure and see if that figure increases. Because obviously, as we head into the summer months and as other countries start to lessen, their travel restrictions. We will see more people come into this country and our tourism industry is going to open up and you are going to have people looking at Ireland and looking at Ireland, the low number of cases and saying, well, that looks like a country that is safe uh, to visit. The worry is, will any of those people come and bring COVID-19? And nobody obviously will do it intentionally, but it is the worry. Do we need to start testing people at the airport and you don't let that person leave the airport or leave a holding area until they have a COVID-19 negative test result and we need to speed up the test results uh, to do it and will we get to that stage I don't know but as I say I just worried me yesterday when I heard that there was any cases that had been linked to travel into uh, this country and let's talk on a good news story about COVID-19 and you may have seen this Um, Pascal Sheehy had this on the RTE News uh, yesterday. It is um, Mary Sullivan, lovely, lovely lady from Douglas and she received a huge, huge round of applause as she was moved to a general ward in the Bonds Hospital. She spent 79 days on a life support machine due to COVID-19. Uh, Mary O'Sullivan is a mum of two. She's in her 70s and can I say for a woman who spent 79 days on a life support machine uh, she's looking very, very fresh for 70 for sure. When I saw her on the TV last night she's understood to have spent longer on a ventilator than any COVID-19 patient anywhere in Ireland or in Britain and they reckon I mean they're obviously looking into this she could be the longest patient ever on a ventilator for COVID-19 across the whole of Europe. Uh, Europe. Mrs O'Sullivan was admitted admitted to the bonds in early March. Now she wasn't admitted for COVID-19. She was admitted because she had had a heart attack. She then subsequently tested positive for COVID-19. Her condition deteriorated. She developed respiratory failure. She then had to be admitted to ICU and that's when she went on a ventilator and she was on that ventilator for 79 days yesterday. She paid tribute to the staff after she was applauded out of the ICU. And moved into a, a general ward. And her message is to keep fighting. There's only one way out of this, she said, and it's to fight. And then the her respiratory the respiratory consultant at the bonds, a gentleman by the name of Oshino O'Connor, he describes Mrs. O'Sullivan's recovery as a major shot in the arm for all of the staff at the hospital. And you forget the impact something like this will have on the staff, you know, because they would be surrounded by so much sadness on many, you know, on many occasions when they go to work, but to have a real, real success. Story and to know they all played, they all played their part in this lady. Coming off a ventilator after seventy-nine uh, days, he said the mood is obviously one of joy for both Mary and the staff across the whole hospital. Uh, he said we have all heard the difficult stories and seen the difficult things that people have had to endure. Families are now empowering healthcare professionals to look after their relatives because they can't come in and visit, so these people become our surrogate family ourselves, and and he said we become very attached and and you would i mean you would imagine that all of the staff that were looking after mary know her so well now and uh, and she was and and she's so thankful to each and every uh, one of them they actually sought advice from doctors in Wuhan in the early stages of Mary's uh, care. Dr. O'Connor said that over in China, the expert consultant in infectious disease and respiratory experts who were dealing with COVID-19 in Wuhan before we even knew about covid in, in this country gave very specific advice on how best to manage Covid patients in Ireland both in a hospital setting and in the community and specifically he said they gave advice on four strategies and it was those four strategies that were instrumental in Mary's case and got her to where she is uh, today so it's a wonderful wonderful good news uh, story and uh, as Mary now has gone from ICU and she's gone on to a general ward on the Bond Secure, in the Bond Secures Hospital in Cork and the next stop for her is going to be the front, out that front door and home and no doubt she can't wait for the day that she gets home and her two, gar- her two daughters um, can't wait to get her home. So continued good health to Mary O'Sullivan from Douglas. 1850, 333103, lines open. Uh, some of your calls coming into the programme, I have to say, my heart goes out to Lehman and Mallow. His contact says his neighbour was getting broadband installed. Happy days for his neighbour. But the person who was installing the broadband, you now in, in error, obviously, cut off Leam's broadband from the pole outside. Liam now has been trying to get in contact. It's with Ayr uh, to tell them what's happened and he said he's getting nowhere. He's been left on hold. I don't know for how long at this date and the frustration of being left on hold anyway. We've uh, emailed Ayr to see if we can get something speeded up for Liam but I sense your frustration. Hang in there. You can be on hold for a long long time. You just need to be very very patient. On the arrangements for going to restaurants from the 29th of June and you now be allowed to stay for 105 minutes which is one hour 45 minutes Larry in Clan says you'd need at least two and a half hours to go for a meal Larry says he's often been left waiting a long time for his main course to come uh, so that's the time frame that they talking about simply won't uh, work says Larry that would be one of the things I mean certainly the poor kitchen staff are going to be under huge pressure you can't have people waiting a long time in between courses and remember as well the time, the, the, this timing situation they're putting in place for, for restaurants is only until the 20th of July when everything else opens up on the 20th of July from what I my reading of it is those that timing restriction is going to go Now it'll be interesting later on today when we're waiting to hear from the Cabinet about opening up you know the summer weddings and opening up hairdressers uh, uh, etc it'll be interesting to see will there be more further advice on that particular issue of the amount of time that you can spend in a restaurant but Larry just feels just not going to be enough, enough time for some restaurants who their service can be slow uh, Pat in Mallow this is on people coming into the country bringing COVID-19 with, with them at the moment Moments you need to self-isolate, he says. That needs to be made compulsory. You can't rely on people's honesty, says Pat in uh, Mallow. Tim in Bandon says people should not be allowed to travel on a plane unless they have a certified COVID-free test. So have a test find out that they don't have COVID-19, have a search from the doctor saying, I've been tested, I'm COVID-free. Uh, he said there is no point waiting until they land here and then telling them to isolate. us. the only way people should be allowed into this country. And Eddie and Mallow said there was a funeral in Mallow a few weeks ago. He said there was between five and six hundred people at uh, it. Some of the people had come from overseas. Eddie wonders how many people brought the virus into the country with them. And those people should be prosecuted for ignoring uh, the law eighteen fifty three 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 one oh three, and just on people coming in and out of the country, this is a kind of an aside, but it came up yesterday when we were talking about dogs being stolen it was and we were talking about dogs being taken out of the country and would pet passports you know well we know pet passports are here at the moment, and surely that's the with the passports being checked, how are they getting pets out of the country and then we heard from somebody in Tess, one of our listeners who listens to us in Jersey, she had travelled over with her dog and had paid something like £450 to have you know the rabies test done and to have her pet passport and she, she couldn't believe that she wasn't checked both coming or going and she was already, you know, her pet passport, you know, quite proud that she'd ticked all the boxes and done everything correct and she said, literally, she said she could have brought the dog in and out of the country without any, anybody checking and she wondered, had she wasted her money or the money that she had spent to make sure that she was doing it correctly. When well, somebody says, Patricia, I bought, brought two dogs and a cat into... Ireland from the UK, it cost me a fortune in jabs and passports. No checks leaving the United Kingdom are arriving into Ireland. Also, much more worrying was I had an air rifle with me. Now, the air rifle, I have a a licence for it and had it in the car with me. I had it handy because I was sure it was going to be checked and nothing. Wasn't asked about the dogs, wasn't asked about the cats and wasn't asked about the air rifle either. We need to have better checks at our ports and airports. 1850 There's a birthday request there. Let me mention it for fear that I forget about it later. Happy birthday to Philomena Murphy. Um, lots of love on your special day, ma'am. And that's from Mary, Simon, Chloe and from your little granddaughter, Clary. Clara, that's happy birthday. Philomena Murphy, hope you have a lovely day, Philomena. Court today on C 103.
2: Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103.
3: Now, according to an Irish Times Ipsos MRBI opinion poll this week, more than half of people believe that schools across the country should reopen as normal in September. To get the views of the parents of primary school children, I'm joined by Anya Lynch, CEO of the National uh, Parents Council Primary Section. Good morning to you, Anya. Good morning. And you, you, you're welcome to the programme. Are you hearing from parents concerned about the way school, ch- school closures have impacted on their children?
4: Yeah, we're hearing from a lot of parents at, at the moment, um, particularly concerned about the long school closure. I think back in March when when schools close their doors, we could never imagine that, that children would be finishing up their school year um, from homeschooling. And um, I think that the difficulty with the homeschooling term is the fact that it just means so, something so much different to each child that's experiencing it at the moment and each family that's experiencing it. So where some children may have managed quite well during this homeschooling period and, and, and got on with the learning, other children have struggled um, much more with that. But even where where the homeschooling might have worked, parents are telling us that um, in terms of their social, emotional development of their children, Mm. they're really starting to be concerned about how it's impacting their children.
3: And the parents themselves, uh, many parents, Sonia, have found and are finding because school is still, you know, for primary schools, the homeschooling is still going on. Many of the parents struggled, are struggling with it, aren't they?
4: Well, absolutely, because, I mean, you know, there's a reason we have schools and there's a reason we have teachers and um, <laughs> the fact that the fact that children normally go into school and have connections with teachers and, and do their learning with teachers, I think that that all trying to happen in the home at the same time as everybody for the last number of months have kind of been in lockdown in their homes as well the home has become everything to a family. It's become the school, it's become the workplace, it's become recreational time with the same people. So I think that 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 has certainly had had impacts. Now, now not all negative. I mean, Mm. parents are telling us that there's there's been some huge positives in that, but there's no doubt that that, that it's also been a very difficult time for some families.
3: And I, I think particularly trying and stressful for parents who are working from home and trying to do the homeschooling. I mean, it's been a nightmare in some scenarios for some parents.
4: Yeah, I think that is particularly stressful for the parents. It's also stressful for the children, um, <laughs> because I suppose they would be used to learning in a, in a much more um, regulated, controlled environment with a teacher. And, and, you know, parents parents aren't teachers in that kind of traditional curriculum sense. So I think it's been, it can be stressful for, for all people involved. Um, and, and I think that, you know sometimes getting to the end of the day for, for for families it can be some days it can be hard to see what went well so i think that's a really important part of this is to to have some small goals at the beginning of the day and and at the end of the day look and see the things that went well because i think sometimes what we do is we, we naturally hone in on all the things that went were difficult and went badly um so i think it's really important to um to concentrate on the things, the successes. They may be only small, but concentrate on the successes in the day as
3: well. That's a good piece of advice. And have teachers tried to make it as easy as possible for both the parents and the children?
4: Yeah, I mean, I I think this has, again, been extremely stressful and difficult for teachers as well. I mean, parents and families have all sorts of different levels of connectivity. Some families have, have... no technological connectivity at all. Some teachers have never been involved in in learning using technology before, so it's been a huge learning curve for everybody. So I think schools have worked really hard to maintain that contact with the different families, but 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 that's varied around the country for so many different reasons whether it's connectivity whether it's um you know parents engagement with the school before this happened and schools engagement with parents before this happened um you know it wasn't a blank sheet before before this happened and i think it has it has illustrated really the importance of of partnership between parents and schools and and how when that's working well we can manage different, um, I suppose, uh, challenges that that approach education. Now, we wouldn't have predicted a challenge quite as big as this. But I think that partnership between home and school really does um, put us in good stead when when, when we come across challenges with the children's education.
3: And how did you react to the news that if the two metre social distance is in place, primary school children uh, will only attend school for one day a week in September?
4: Yeah, I mean, that, that would be extremely worrying. I mean, we, we need to see children go back to primary school fully if that's safe to do so. So we did very much welcome the fact that the Department of the Minister are focused on trying to get all children back to school fully when the schools reopen, um, if it's safe to do so. And I think if at least if we're aiming for that and have contingency plans, if that can't happen, or have contingency plans in different schools or different areas because of different circumstances. But I think at least if we're aiming to try and get children back fully, um, then that's that's really important. I mean, I think uh, the longer schools are, uh, continue to be out, the more it becomes an essential service for children. Uh, and we need to approach getting them back into school in the same way as we would approach other essential services coming back. And I suppose we, we've approached services that we wouldn't um, maybe consider essential in terms of um, bars, restaurants, um, hairdressing in, in a way of how can we get these back back up and running. Now, obviously, it's essential for business and the economy, but not in the same way as I think education is essential for children. So I think if we can approach getting schools open fully in, th- in that way, um, then I think that, that's That's really putting children's needs as a priority.
3: And do you believe it can be done uh, safely for all children to attend school five days per week?
4: I think it's very difficult in June to to know where we're going to be in August um, because things are changing so quickly. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I don't think anybody would have predicted that the country would be as opened up as it is now. Um, so I think if it continues to to go so positively, um, I, I, I think that if everybody works in partnership together, we should be able to get children back. But it's very, very difficult to know now in June what things are going to be like at the end of August. But yeah. I think at least if we're planning for that, then there's a chance that it'll happen. Whereas if we're not planning for that, then there's very little chance that it'll happen. So.
3: Uh, and I know I mentioned sixth class uh, students. Uh, it was a, a couple of months ago I got a couple of heartbreaking letters in when we realised the children weren't going to, going back to school uh, anymore. Uh, have you a huge understanding and, and a sadness for the sixth class pupils who haven't been able to have that proper goodbye to their classmates?
4: Yeah, I think there's a range of issues in terms of sixth classes. Definitely that... Um that lack of ending, and I think for transition um, to a new to, to a new experience it 's always good to have a very positive ending of the old experience, and it really impacts that transition, and we know that from lots of evidence, so I think schools are doing very imaginative things around the country to try and make sure that that is marked but but again it it, it won't be the same as, as what would normally be, so I think that 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 can be very difficult for children um the other thing though I, I think we need to, to to worry about in terms of the sixth class uh, transition scenario is that that we have we have a small cohort of children that before the school closure were already struggling with their connection with their education and I think after this long period of what will be nearly six months by the time they they re-engage with it, their secondary school um, I think we have to really make sure that we don't lose those children's engagement in education and that specific efforts are put in to, to keep both children engaged and specifically to reengage them in their secondary school.
3: Yeah and junior infants as well Onya. Um, a lot of these schools would have been, sort of this week, the junior infants would have gone in just on, on a taster day almost. Mm, They're not mm. going to have that this year.
4: No and again there's a lot of um, that have done quite imaginative things, whether they've put kind of videos up for for parents walking through the school and things like that. As well, we have a, 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 a session on our website that people can access for parents that's all about supporting their children's transition from either early years or the home into primary school. And that's available on our website, mpc.ie. It's about a 20-minute, 25-minute uh, video that can give tips to, to parents about the things that they can do to prepare their children for that transition as well.
3: OK, and so and, uh, another listener, said, uh, could you ask your expert? Our expert today is uh, Anya Lynch, CEO of the National Parents' uh, Council. How do we prepare for next September? Do we need to start buying all the school books? What about the uniforms?
4: I think the really important thing is that you engage with your local school because it will be different in every school. So, um, and, and the other thing to say is that schools understand the situation that that everybody's in, and 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 no parent or child is in the situation on their own. So schools will be having a coordinated approach to um, getting children back into school it's very difficult to know what that is at the moment because we don't have the plan and people may have heard this a lot in the media recently we don't have a plan but we're hoping that through um, stakeholder engagement over the next couple of weeks that there will be a plan and then schools will be able to contact parents and, and give them some concrete um, things that, in terms of returning back to school in in august september
3: Megan says, surely one solution won't fit all solutions. A small rural school with three classes is very different to a large school in the middle of an urban area or in the middle of a city.
4: Uh, absolutely. And I think what schools need at the moment is the, the the general guidance and then that they'll then be able to apply it to their individual circumstances. But until the general guidance comes out from, from the Department of Education, it's very difficult for, for schools to know what, what the, I suppose, regulations that they need to put in place in terms of hygiene, distancing and all of those things. But I think once, once we have cl- clarity around that, then we can, the schools can individually start looking at how it will apply to their school situation. And, and that goes from arrival into school. I mean, there's so many different circumstances just about getting in through the school gate and into the school building that changes from school to school um, to how the day will, will, will continue. So they, they will have to be very much bespoke to each school. But first of all, we need the national guidance on, on what schools need to implement.
3: Okay. And Lorna wonders what would be your view on splitting the school day if if they're only going to allow 15 children into a classroom at a time in a classroom of 30? What if half went in the morning and half went in the afternoon? Would that work?
4: Well, look, I mean, I think there are lots of different um, ways that we, could, we can organise the time, and that would be one. Um, again, that goes down to very school-specific issues, for how big are the classrooms, how many classrooms are in a school, is there a school hall? There may be more capacity that we can do in schools that have more kind of communal space. But also, I think what we first of all need to do is try and work to getting all children back safely um, and whether that's increased hygiene regimes I mean, there's lots of things that we see in other sectors that they've managed to put in place because the social distancing can't be implemented. Um, and, and we're seeing that very much in the news this week in terms of the restaurant and, and pub trades. And, and we're also now, I think, hearing that the hairdressers may be doing some So each sector is looking at its own particular circumstances. And I think education we'll be doing that, bearing in mind that we see education as essential to children and the long school closures has heightened that, that need.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And others are saying, look to what other countries uh, are doing. And another listener is saying, I don't want my children to return to school unless I know they're absolutely uh, safe. OK, listen, Onya, thank you for that. And uh, thanks thank for you. joining us on the programme. Uh, good morning to you. That is Onya Lynch, who is CEO of the National Parents Council. And a text in saying, hi, Patricia, I'm a secondary school teacher. I'm doing online classes and was doing them up until last the last week of May and recording classes on Zoom and putting them up online for my students I can't wait to see my students face to face and a lot of my students that I was in contact with on a daily basis say the same but it's not safe to go back then But if it's not safe to go back, then it's simply not safe to go back. Full stop. My sixth year students were very hurt that they couldn't get to say goodbye properly to their teachers. And likewise for the teachers, stop bashing the teachers for the sake of it. Under return to work protocols for all workers, it is not recommended to spend a lot of time in one room with a group of students. So there is a secondary school teacher who certainly doesn't think it is going to be safe to return to school in September. 1850 103 Thank you for your text. Bernie is taking your calls. Uh, we've got John Paul and Sadie on a day off today. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103.
1: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines
5: are currently closed.
2: Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103. Now let me
3: go to Breda in uh, Charleville. Good morning to you, Brida. Good morning Patricia. Now
2: you were
3: in Grandon's in Glenmire. Was this yesterday or was it today? It's uh, nearly as we speak. Half past 10 this morning. Ha- half past 10 ye- yesterday morning. No, this morning. Oh just this morning. Okay. Just this morning. Okay, tell us what happened. Uh, well,
6: we were, I, my husband had gone into the, the shop to, to get a few items and I, uh, as he was coming out, a young man had been into the shop and he had, as he was passing the cash machine, he spotted the money in the machine and he just slashed it to my husband saying, you know, this was left behind. So he took the money and he passed it into the shop and he handed it in there. So we thought, well, if the man comes back to the machine and there's no money, he'll assume that, you know, that it's gone. But I thought, well, we put out the call and yeah, let, and let know people know.
3: Okay, that the so, money has been handed in. So, it, it, is, it, it's, it, do you know how much how much it was? Well, my husband figured he thought maybe two hundred euro. Okay, so somebody was taking money out of the cash. It's the cash, the ATM machine in Grandins, is it? Yes. in Grandin's. Yes,
6: the outside, the outside okay. of
3: Grandins. And what often happens? You get a bit flustered, and you walk away, and you forget to take your money.
6: Yeah. I, now, I could be wrong, but I thought, I thought the last person I saw there, because I hadn't obviously been paying attention, was a taxi man. I thought maybe it was a taxi man, but, you know... That was the last man I remember there but you know there could have been somebody after him
3: that I didn't see. Okay. Okay so just to get the message out if if you know if it was yourself or you heard somebody because somebody will tell that story to somebody you'll never believe I left the money behind in the machine or the man mightn't even know yet it's until he goes to his wallet to take money out to pay for something he's going to go where's my money gone and then the penny will drop and and actually fair dues to the to the guy who spotted the money and was honest enough to walk back into the shop with it.
6: Absolutely. And he didn't have, a, I didn't think he had a local accident because I actually sp- spoke to, to that young man and I, I said to him that was a, that I remembered a taxi man there. At, no, there was a few before the taxi man as well, but he was the last man I remembered. And I thought, well, if he's still here and that man comes back, you know, but... He he took he was going away. Obviously, he was going to work because he had, you know, he had his work clothes. And and yeah. you know, I thought, well, if he's, you know, if the taxi man comes back and there's no money in the machine, he'll say, well, it's gone.
3: Yeah, he'll just assume somebody took it and and went yes. off with it. I mean, now hopefully yes. he might walk into the shop and say, did somebody hand it in? Somebody else is saying, would the shop have CCTV on the ATM they probably machine? Would have. They may. They probably would they have. They may. But then they need to identify the man if they don't. We need the man to realise if it is the man that we're thinking about. We need him to realise that he didn't take his money. Yes, yes. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Now I'm sure he will. If it was, if it was 200 euro, would you'd quickly realise that you were missing 200 euro, wouldn't you? When you go to pay for something, you
6: would. You yeah,
3: would, would it be sick. <laughs> oh, yeah, God, you would. You would. It's, and there's nothing worse, I think, than losing money. It's just this, it's a it's a right it's a right kicking the teeth. It really is. Okay, listen. Well done to you for trying to do your bit to get the word out. Well, well, well done. As I said to the young man who was honest enough to to bring it back. Yeah, he could have walked off and he had could. a nice weekend out of it. Yeah. All right. Listen, Breeda, stay safe and thank you for that. Thanks for Good morning Take to care. you. Bye bye, breather There uh, and a good day to you too, Breathe it from Malah. But it didn't out from Charleville. It didn't happen in Charleville. It's at Grandon's at uh, Sallybrook in Glamar at about quarter past ten. So under an hour ago, if you went and took money out of the machine, would you please check your wallet? Because you may be the gentleman that we're looking for, that you left the money behind. And it, listen, it has happened to other people before. I had a friend of mine who had a substantial sum of money and it was taken by somebody else. The next person walking along spotted it and was it was gone and taken and, and it, the person was... Found was seen on uh, CCTV taking it and wasn 't as honest as the young gentleman that breath is talking about uh, this morning, so that was at grandin 's at about ten fifteen this morning. or if you hear of somebody talking about that they lost their money or they forgot to take it out of the machine, tell them it 's been handed into grandin 's uh, shop and well done to that young man eighteen hundred and fifty three 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 one oh three We need to take a break. We have news at eleven on the way in the next hour we 're going to talk about the need for a motor sports center in Cork and also about a new housing development that's opened in Formoy. We were talking about schools in the last hour primary schools and uh, will children go back to school and what will it be like when children go back to school in September and we touched on the sixth class uh, students' And how a lot of people feel very sorry for the sixth class students that they didn't get that final sort of rite of passage when they leave sixth class and it's their last time. And for many, the group of children who would have, they would have started school eight years previously in junior infants. And for some, when they leave sixth class and they go on into different secondary schools, they won't be in that same class group again so it would be their last chance to say goodbye and say goodbye to their teachers etc and i know some schools are being very imaginative and they're coming up with ways of marking that rite of passage leaving uh, leaving primary school for the final time and i saw it was actually in yesterday's paper there was a lovely photograph of a young lad by the name of Lucas Murphy and he's one of 36 class pupils who one by one attended a ceremony to mark their last official day at school and the school was Greenmount National School And each of the pupils, they walked down a red carpet and they were applauded by their teacher, their class teacher and the deputy principal and the principal was there. And it was just lovely. And I just thought, and I'm assuming most of the schools are coming up with some way of just marking that their last day officially in school for the sixth class uh, pupils. So well done to all of the schools, some of them really going above and beyond just to mark the occasion. And thank you to one of our regular listeners to the programme who contacted us just to give out a word of warning to say that he, uh, he's heard from a friend of his who is a farmer living alone and the farmer today received a call from Amazon claiming that this man owed €399 Euro to Amazon. The thing is that this gentleman has never used Amazon in his life so he didn't know what they were on about. Very obviously a scam but it's kind of a new one, one we haven't heard of before so just be careful because a lot of people are using Amazon and just be careful that you don't get caught out with that with a phone call that they're claiming that you owe it is a scam. Thank you to that listener for contacting us and highlighting that. Now, a Cork North Central TD believes that building a motorsport centre in Cork would help to divert youths from dangerous driving on public roads and it could save lives. To discuss his idea, Sinn Féin TD Deputy Thomas Gould joins me. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Do we have a big problem both across the city and the county with youths using residential areas, in some cases almost like a racing track?
7: Yes, we do. And it's right across the city and county where uh, groups of young people are getting together with their cars and their motorbikes. They they're, they're communicating by social media. They're arranging to meet at certain times. And then they're moving across the city and the county to avoid the gaurdies and uh, residents complaining them. So what happens to me is people contact me and they say, "Listen, these guys are out of the game." No, a, a lot of there's a couple of issues with these cows. A lot of these cows, the, the young people own them themselves. They maintain, they manage them. These are deep, good cows. Okay, mm-hmm. and like there are a lot of good, decent young people out there who have a major interest in cars and bikes and motorsport. And in the city and in the county, th- there's no centre where they can meet. Where the, What I'm looking for is that there would be different tracks there. There would be managed by the city or the county council. That it would be a controlled, safe environment where they could come. It uh, would be open seven days a week. would be lo- open late into the evenings. That you'd also might have mechanics on site so that you could educate them how to look after the car, how to maintain it. Some of them even might think of going into the doing an apprenticeship. So, like, I'm looking for the positives. I want to engage with young people. And, like, I spoke in the Doyle about this uh, probably last month how, like, the young people during the COVID, they were told to stay at home. And to sit and not to be engaged with other people, mm. and they want to, and these you know is what strategy, what plan have we for young people to give them something positive to do, and not to, to stop them getting involved in these racing and these dangerous activities because. There's more and more young people who no, are looking for something to do, especially at
3: night. Yeah, they're not okay, you've got some young people who are heavily involved in sport and that's terrific and that is their pastime, that's their hobby. But not all young people are sporty.
7: No, Patricia, I'm the chair of the Hunger Football Club. all my family are involved in the GA, and like you got you have people involved with in basketball, soccer, athletics, that's our thing. But uh, as you said, a lot of kids, and more and more kids now, are not getting involved in sport for different reasons. And But we do know a lot of young people are very interested in more sports sport and more to cars and bikes. So I think we have to think differently. You know? We have to go out and meet young people and talk to them about what they want to do. Not to tell them what to do, to engage them. And this could be a really positive thing Um to, to Do you, the young people.
3: How would it be funded, and would it cost a lot of money?
7: Well, the way I would look at it is, for every euro you're spending uh, on investing in young people, you're saving four euros for everyone you, we have to put into prison or everyone we have to engage with services, because we know investment in young people stops them getting into criminality in the long term. So. In the long term, we'd be saving money by investing now because we have more and more young people ending up in prison, ending up getting into trouble. And what I'm trying to do is to prevent that.
3: So, so, you know, so mo- money well spent. Store. Money well spent. And and, and, and motorsport, yeah. it does have a strong tradition here in Cork, doesn't it? It does.
7: and like, It's not in the area I've been involved with, but the more and more that I'm going around the, the constituency and meeting people... You, like I was just listening to your news there, and they were talking about you know, doing an interview with a, a chap who's involved in the horse racing, and before that, he was in rally driving. Like there's a huge interest in cars and rally driving. Um, so to me, and the other thing, then, Patricia, you're bringing people together who might normally not meet. You'll be bringing kids from um, working class areas, probably meeting with young people from rural areas. You know, and that's all positive. You know what I mean? People getting to know each other, breaking down barriers. Because at the end of the day, if if we're not there being constructive and bringing forward positive solutions for for them, like we had a tragedy in in our community recently, where a young girl Kimberly O'Connor was tragically died in the car crash it's dreadful. right right outside her door. Yeah, it's no, dreadful on the
3: family.
7: people who had bought that car for fifty euros?
3: Yeah, but that surely has to stop.
7: Well, I, I'm, I'm I'm investigating now in the Doyle about bringing forward. Uh, new rules that you cannot sell the car unless the person has a driving licence. And you know, you would go on and tax your car online. Yeah. That we have that kind of a system. So, and also that whoever owns the car would be responsible. If they sell the car and they don't do it in a safe manner, that they would be responsible for the the consequences of it afterwards. Yeah, because Because I'm I'm
3: assuming when you're talking about, you know, this motorsport centre, you're not aiming it at at young guys with their company cars.
7: What I'm doing is, I mean, you see, I want to open up an opportunity for people to go somewhere safe. If you're a young person now, and you want to be into sport, and in particular a lot of them love speed,
8: right? I
7: would soon have a motorsport centre that's managed properly, that's uh, it's a controlled environment where they can come down and watch it. Their parents then understand that they're somewhere where they can go. The problem with a lot of these young people is they're going out in the evening to meet their friends. These are kids 16, 17, 18, and they're driving around the city in the county. Some of them, sh- some
3: of them shouldn't even be driving, though. Therein lies the problem. Um, Sean in North Cork says that these young fellas just love the thrill of outwitting the Garda. They wouldn't be interested in a track, and he also talks about a lovely auto grass track that was vandalised in Ballyhawra uh, last year. Uh, but Sean's point is that the the people you're trying to pitch it at wouldn't be interested.
7: Well, not all of them would be, but I believe most young people are are decent, good people that 9 out of 10, if you give them the opportunity, they won't get involved with, with criminality or antisocial behaviour. So he's right. There might be some people who won't engage. But i put it this way, Patricia. If you're a young person at the moment and you want to get involved in more sport, right, where are you going to go? Where are you and your friends going to hang out? We need, like, the ga in this country, everything is put on the ga. Right, are we like are, are there are people up the field now before the COVID crisis? they just come up to hang out because they have nowhere else to go, and we welcome everyone into the club and so of it comes. But we need to have new places now for young people to go.
3: Okay, what reaction?
7: By the way, are you are you getting to the suggestion? Well, I, I, I'm actually mostly positive. Is it?
3: No, okay.
7: There are a few people who who think it's a waste of money, but you see. At the end of the day, if you're investing in young people long term, and this could have great educational things about getting people to be responsible for their care. Like, if you have a care, it's an investment. It's a lot of money, and, it, and um, when they're driving the roads, they're they're responsible. So, for me, this kind of engages with young people because a lot of European countries would actually have young people doing their driving, like their driving tests. And in fourth year or fifth year,
3: while well, still in school, yeah, yeah,
7: that's something we don't do here. So I think we have a lot of work to do with education in young people, and uh, and mm. working
3: by. And and, then, and the long long term goal, it'll save lives and and, and keep keep our roads uh, safer. All right, um, Thomas. Before we let you go, I, are you disappointed that your partner, Shin, your party Sinn Féin, isn't involved in any formation talks about uh, the next government?
7: Yes, well, we're very disappointed that we were excluded. Like, we set out, Mary Lou Macdonald said that we would talk to everyone and we talked to everyone who was willing to talk to us.
3: And were the numbers just not there for Sinn Féin to get it together?
7: No, unfortunately, once Fianna Fianna Fáil excluded us, we couldn't put the required numbers together. But what we said to them was that we should have at least sat down and put our cards on the table and looked to see could we have found a solution. Because like, the Green Party, this isn't off the line yet, and we could be here now in two weeks' time, and there might be no government. And the far and Fianna, 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 Fianna Gael have dragged their feet. They've excluded us. And there's a lot of anger on the ground at the moment because like, this COVID-19 crisis has affected everyone in the country. And they're looking at the politicians then, and they're saying, what are you doing? And what, what I'm saying is, this is the TD is... We're working every day and we want to work. We want to be in government and we want to change things. Like even, just a small example, the the retirement age of 65. We committed to that before the general election. Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael came out and uh, all of a sudden they committed to it. And straight away now they're rolling back on it. And that's the problem here. Well, Fianna Fáil committed
3: to keeping it at 66 and Fianna Gael wanted it to go to 67.
7: No, actually, before the election, Fianna Fáil the it to returning to 65 with us.
3: OK, well, and at the, the moment again. now, it's going to remain at 66. It, that's it, the yeah. programme for government goes through. So, if, so, as you say, we don't know as of yet that a lot of this will hinge on on the Green Party members and whether they'll vote and it depends on which Green Party member you're talking to, some are very in favour of the government, others are not, so it isn't it certainly isn't done and dusted for sure. So if if, if, if it didn't go through, would you talk to either Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael? Is that what you're saying?
7: Well, what well, well, we, we want to talk to everyone. Like At the end of the day, the country is in a crisis. It's not about your party, it's not about you individually, it's about doing what's right for the country, and we think they're feeling fine feeling here by excluding us having done having the country first not thinking of the parties
3: first. And that's wrong, Patricia. OK, and a number of people are saying we voted for change. What we're presented with now is not the change that we voted for. OK, and the listener says, Hi, Patricia, uh, Deputy Thomas Gould is right. I've got a 13-year-old who's car mad. He takes part in autocross. Uh, James Dean is his hero, who's a, a young local man who <laughs> we, we often talk about on the programme because he achieves great, great things. Um, and so uh, well done to Thomas Gould, Um there are young kids out there massively into cars.
7: And uh, you see, Patricia, I, I think we need to be we need to engage with young people more. And the thing about it, there are as many girls who are in, who are interested in cars now than boys. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's
3: not just it's, it's not just for the boys.
7: No, society is changing, so I think we need to be positive, and we need to go out and engage with them. And that young that woman there who's talking about her thirteen year old son, wouldn't it be great if she had somewhere to bring him now? where he could go and he could meet other children or young people who have the same interest in, him. you know, they, they would develop friendships. It, it's all positive, I think.
3: Yeah, exactly. OK, listen, Thomas, we leave it there. We'll speak again in the meantime. Thank you for that. And thanks Thank for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. Uh, 1850 333 103. That's Cork, North Central, uh, TD. Thomas Gould. C
2: 103 Jobs. Office Assist,
3: they are in Charleville. They're looking for an experienced bookkeeper slash office administrator with experience in Sage and Big Red Cloud, etc. Staff nurse required for relief work plus one day per week to cover a maternity leave commencing in August in St. Govnitz Nursing Home in Ballyogram experienced retail assistant required for a busy service station on the Bandon Road in Bishopstown and a childminder is wanted four days per week in the children's own home in the Hazelwood area of Mallow your own transport is necessary you'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more this is C103.
2: Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 103. Now, in the midst
3: of all of the bad news, there was a good news story in for Moy this week with the opening of eight new apartments by the Peter McVary Trust and Cork County Council. To discuss the complex in more detail, I'm joined by Pat Doyle, who is CEO of the Peter Macfrey at Trust.
0: Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
5: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy.
9: Good morning and good morning uh, to your And y-
3: you're welcome to the programme. Is, the, is this your first housing project here in Cork?
9: It's our first housing project here in County Cork, yeah. And the first of uh, a number, I hope, uh, a number that are in the pipeline. So we're, we're delighted
8: uh,
9: Brilliant. to be in the county. So thank you for having us. So so take me back and how did it all come about? Well, we have been uh, uh, working in partnership with local authorities, the end and breadth of the country, uh, throughout the crisis, um, the housing crisis. And we had an invite from Cork County Council uh, last year, to come in and to seek and to try to find properties and to assist in partnership with them and um, bring down their housing list. So, we, uh, our housing development team began to look around. We asked them what areas they wanted us to tackle first. East Cork came up first, so um, for Moy, Cove, Yal, etc. So, we began to look um, at, at how we could increase the social housing stock in the county in partnership with the local authority and re- reduce the housing list. So this development was identified to us. It had been one that had been with the banks. It was lying Idle in Fermoy. Um, it hadn't been finished out. Um, it, it, you know, it wasn't up to standard. It hadn't had all the work completed in it, but it was uh, uh, with the banks. So we, we got a hold of that um, and we secured money through Rebuilding Ireland uh, to buy the property and finish it out. So, so it was an
3: it's an apartment complex.
9: It's an apartment apartment complex. It's very typical of a rural town. It it took um a kind of a unit on one of the streets um and then built in behind it. So it's got three units out onto the main streets and uh, five units to the rear then. So uh, you you know, brought back in a disused building on the streets Brilliant. into three apartments Brilliant. and then built on in the back in the garden. And um, is
3: it is it a mix of housing?
9: It's lovely. It's really, really lovely. It's, um, it's five two-beds five two and three one-bed units. Um, and uh, it's, um, it's a mixed complex now. All the clients have come from the housing list. So we've got some families, we've got some couples, and we've got some singles. So it's brilliant. It's, it's really lovely. And, you know, there's, there's great opportunity um, in, in a lot of towns in the county to, to kind of replicate this. Um, so we're absolutely delighted. We were down there on Monday. We met some of the uh, the incoming tenants um, and uh, view the building. And it's, uh, it's been brought up to the highest standard now. I mean, I think the insulation's better than my own house.
3: <laughs> <laughs> do, do, do you supply furniture? Do you furnish them as well? Yeah, the, the Trust
9: has a policy, and, and, and we have very good support from the public where we're assuming people are coming from homelessness. And so, therefore, one of the big issues in homelessness is that everything you have, you have to carry with you. It's either in your car or on your back. So people yeah. come into units with nothing. And some housing providers provide people with the housing, which is fantastic. But then, you know, they leave it to the clients to kind of, or, you know, to the residents to, to, to equip that themselves. What we do is we furnish them out on day one. It comes as part of the package. You know, if things break after that, you, you know, you need to save like everybody else. And, and replace, yeah. That. But we and try then- to give people everything they have because, you know, when you're in homelessness, You've either lost things, you've given things away, or you've had to abandon stuff. So people are coming with with with, with very little. So fully furnished units. Um, we've had some great support from, um, you know, from from business as well. Harvey, Norman, and others have assisted us um, in furnishing them out well as private donors. But we give people the key to the door and everything that you and I would have and take for granted um, in in our own home. We try to put that in from the clock to the bin. The coat hanger and and give people that fresh start now.
3: That's kind of a because tur- that, we hear we hear of turnkey services on on houses, but that's a proper turnkey yeah, uh, service. Yeah.
9: yeah, and we do that the once just at the beginning. After that, we, our teams will continue to support people in those units, particularly those who need it. Not everybody needs it, but someone needs it. And you know, part of what we we'll do with people will be around budgeting and you know planning for the future. But these are great units. It's uh, uh, you know it's the same rent as local authority rents. Um, it comes out at source, so people can't get into
8: debt. Put
9: in all the meters in relation to heating, electricity. So again, people can't get into debt. Can't. So a, a lot of work to support our tenants now to maintain. Uh, their but tenants that, lo- that their local that local
3: support is there. You're saying, Pat, for those that need it,
9: absolutely. And we we've, we've already began to build some contacts in the town. Um, it, the units are across the road from the library. They're around the corner from the gym. So, we, you know, every time we go into a community, we build up a pack of resources of what's available so tenants know um, so that they can fully integrate. Giving the key to the door to somebody is a privilege. Um, we couldn't do it. We weren't in partnership with the local authority and, and the public and our donors. But it is a, it is a huge privilege, and it takes people off the, the homeless list for good now. And these people are no longer in homelessness now. They have a key to the door. They're tenants of the Peter Macfrey Trust. And, and how, the how are the are tenants,
3: paid. how would the tenants select us Peter?
9: Um, well, the, t- the tenants come from the local authorities' housing list. Okay. So some are coming from homeless services. Some are coming because they're next on the housing list. Some are coming because they're next on the housing list and they made a preference for that area. Okay. Um, and so there's a, there's a mix of community. We work with whoever we're asked to work with Um and we we are a specialist. One or two of them have health related issues, and we have those specialisms as well. So our our team in the area we we have a team uh, um, that covers Munster now, and they will be checking with people. Some will some who you know are coming from homeless services might need a check every day for a while. Some it's once a week, and some will just be a friendly, distant landlord.
3: Yeah, just give them the keys and, and off they go. And the fact that it's one and two-bedroomed uh, units, Pat, I'm assuming single people because there's a huge, huge uh, need mm. for housing for single people.
9: There is. 45% of all homeless people are single. Is it is high We need that? to move away from building the standard three bedrooms all the time. Yeah. But this development now has three one-beds and five two-beds. And, you know, we're opening... Um, we're well, on our, we're well advanced to opening 15 units in, in, um, in Yall and six in Cove, um, one in Bantry. Um, so, you know, um, all the time when we're doing that, we're trying to get the mix to make sure that we can take the singles. The singles are, you know, in, in homeless services and on the streets so that are usually the more vulnerable, complex end. And we're a specialist in, in providing housing for that. So we're we're calling on, on 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 lots of approved housing bodies to follow our lead and that whenever they're building or buying complexes to make sure those single units are in there.
3: And what has it meant Pat, to the families and the individuals that you've housed?
9: Well, I, I, have, to, I have to say like we we primarily deal with homeless and so we have a lot of deaths, we've a lot of tragedy in the work. The best days of the week are the days where you give the key to the door to somebody. And um you know we got a, I got a beautiful card from one family that moved in there. They'd been homeless um in homelessness for years. Uh, they'd lost one of their parents tragically, and uh, you know to be able to uh, know that they're, you know, that their future is is secure now, that they can plan, they can do the things. Uh, that they, they need to do, their children can settle in. Uh, that's that's a huge, a huge thing. When it comes to families who are living in hotels and B&Bs, they regularly tell us when they get the key that the the most precious room in the house is the utility room because they can now do their own laundry. My goodness. So, um, my my goodness. young girl that we, we gave an apartment, a young girl who was in homeless care for years, and a journalist asked her what was the best thing about it, and she said... The shower, I don't have to share a bathroom with anybody else. So a lot of the stuff that you and I and our listeners we
8: take, take for granted, granted. Is, every you know, day, yeah.
9: having to check who was in that shower before you in homeless services, that's gone now. Having to pay for your laundry, that's gone now. Being able to cook whenever you want, uh, cook at home, eat what you want, when you want, um, you know, stay in your jammies if that's what you want. <laughs> um, you know, All of those things that we take for granted, uh, you know, I mean, they're, incredible. They're, they're, they're now opening up to our client group. And our staff don't stop there with the housing. We're there to support people, to integrate into the community, to budget, to manage, to seek employment. For those who are you know, more vulnerable, to seek employment, to seek ways into support groups, that's what we're there for as well. So making sure that the tenancy is part of an overall reintegration back into the community, that's, what, that's the privilege of the work we love with.
3: And Pat, with COVID-19, there isn't a lot of media attention on homelessness, but it's an issue that hasn't gone away.
9: No, it's an issue that hasn't gone away, and we're delighted really in the fact that, um, you know, we're the main provider on behalf of the local authority in the HSE in the Greater Dublin area, for example, uh, on the COVID response, and we've had no deaths in homeless services. Um, and so, you know, in our housing right around the country, we've, uh, we have a lot of units in Limerick, we've just opened some units in Galway, we're securing some units in Killarney at the moment, um, and we're, we've, we're trying to make sure that we still... Continue to secure units throughout the COVID, and in fact, we've had some benefits in the COVID. And I know there's very little benefits to the country, but we've had a number of landlords who didn't want to go to the market now, and they've come to us, and so we have actually had an increase in securing units during the COVID. Believe it or not, wow. And uh, that's doing our. It's only a little bit, but we're doing our little bit to bring down the numbers of those who are in hotels, B and B, or insecure accommodation. So, looking forward to uh, doing more with you and your listeners. Um, to help us fundraise in Cork and Munster in the months and and years to come. But we're we're delighted. Absolutely. uh, So, so
3: Fermoy is the first one. So, where else do you say? Y'all?
9: we we've 15 on the way in Y'all in the next month or so. Great. Uh, We've six in Cove, one in Bantry. 15 units in Killarney. We're looking at Tralee and the Stoll as well. Fantastic. So we, and, and
3: obviously, if there's anyone, any landlord listening who has thank you. long-term vacant housing, yes. you'd love to hear from them.
9: There's two types of landlords we're interested in. One is uh, landlords who are in, are, are in housing, give it to us to manage. You'll be guaranteed to rent. We look after the property. We look after the clients. You'll get paid whether the property is empty or full. So that type of landlord we're looking for. And then we're also looking for landlords who have shops, who have those, you know the way, Any in all the towns across Munster, when you look up over the shop, every second one of them is empty yeah. above the shop.
3: And at one, at one time, they housed full families. They did. And yeah.
9: those landlords will tell you in the shops that, uh, well, we don't have the money to, uh, you know, to bring that back into social health. We have access to, to grants and schemes from government now that if, if you work with us, we'll pay for the refurb of that over-the-shop unit, as long as you give it to us for social housing. On a rent basis, you know your standard rent for a number of years to
3: come. Well, wow, that's a win-win. So, for, that's a win-win for everybody. And if
9: you if you drive through every small town, yeah. um, you know from Bandon to to kind of uh, 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 Millington, wherever it might be, and you look over the shops, yeah. there's lots of empty units, and we can work with you um, and your listeners and that. And it br- and, and
3: do you know something? I also think it brings life back that's to it. those small towns. It 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 really does to have it's people re- living
9: uh, in as well as, well as doing it its main purpose of avoiding housing it's regen for small towns those 8 units for my those families now and those individuals will shop local yep live local, interact local, engage in the library, engage in other social events. So it is part of a regen as well.
3: Okay, listen, you're doing fantastic work at uh, the Father Peter Macvery uh, Trust. Continue with it, Pat. We'll speak again in the future and thank you for joining me this morning. Sure. Good back. morning to you. Bye-bye. Pat Doyle there, who is CEO of the Peter Macvery uh, Trust and can we wish the best of luck to all of those families and individuals who have moved into those eight new apartments in uh, Formoy. 1850 Bernie taking your calls Phone lines have been busy this morning And she's on her own Answering the calls So apologies If you're, you're not getting your call Answered as quickly as you would like You can always text or WhatsApp me Straight into the studio 0862 103, 103.
1: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed
2: Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 086
3: Now, a film made by a Cove teenager to occupy himself during lockdown is expected to be screened on Amazon Prime Video in the coming week. 16-year-old Michael Keane from Cove uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Michael
10: you, thank Patricia, thank uh, you so much for having well, me. Well
3: listen, you're very welcome to the programme. Your your short film is called Covid uh, Era and I have to say I watched it uh, yesterday um, and it's excellent. It's, it's darker than I thought it would be but it's absolutely excellent. Can you just explain to listeners the storyline and how you came up with the idea for it?
10: Oh thank you so much. Um, yeah, so basically Covid Era is based on a Young person who has had coronavirus, and he is taking a train ride, uh, reflecting on everything that happened and how his life physically and mentally unraveled. Um, so how I came up with the character was I got stories from like friends and family over in Spain, and I put that together, like as well with the media, as well with all the news, and I built a character within that. And the character, you know, he's faced everything. And he's he's like going back to that dark time, telling everyone what really happened and how he felt.
3: And bemoaning the fact that we'll never be the same again and our lives will never be and his life will never be the same again.
10: I know that's it's really kind of it, it really does hit you, I think. And it was a really dark kind of film because it was it was tough uh, editing <laughs> Um But yeah, like I think it does get the message across that Ireland will never be the same again.
3: And uh, you you filmed it obviously on the train between Cove and Cork. I did, yeah. And you obviously get permission for that. Was there there any problems there?
10: No, there was no issues.
3: No. Um, And what equipment did you use for filming?
10: So I used my tripod and my camera and then I recorded the voiceover afterwards at home.
3: And you did all the editing yourself?
10: Yes, everything.
3: It's excellent. It's And then, of course, when I started to dig deeper, I realised this wasn't your first attempt.
10: Yeah, I've done a few other short films as well.
3: How, when did you start to develop an interest in, in movie making?
10: I'd say when I was like nine, a good few years ago, yeah, because I'm 16 now.
3: And tell me how Amazon Prime Video, how this is the the possibility of it's ever been shown on Amazon Prime.
10: Well, I got in touch with a distributor and they distribute short films like from in, uh, independent filmmakers like myself the platforms like Amazon um there's a few others like I can't think of the names now but yeah and I just gave them everything I had and they were able to help me get it on the platform
3: and you are you've how many other films have you made
10: I'd say I've made it about 5 maybe yeah five.
3: and you venture them into film festivals
10: yeah like this year I had um my short film final shot and it won the audience award. I was so happy
3: it's fantastic it's 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 i mean it's it's an un it's an unusual hobby in that you don't hear about a lot of young people making movies yeah.
10: well well at the film festival at the fresh film festival um it's huge like I think we had about sixty finalists in the whole of Ireland, but they had one thousand four hundred entries so i mean there's the, you're seeing loads of young people make films.
3: Yeah, it's great. It's it, it's yeah. great. And have you a favourite genre of film yourself?
10: I love a bit of mystery and kind <laughs> of thriller, you know.
3: And <laughs> a, a favourite director?
10: J.J. Uh, J. Abrams.
3: OK, sure. yeah. yeah. Uh, that, that's, that that doesn't surprise me. And of course, you act as well. You're,
10: you, I do. I'm actually, well, I recently graduated from Actors' Vision. It's a Cork school for acting. Um and I, I spent the whole year, like, just in training, uh, developing techniques and stuff. So that really has helped me, like, perform in my own films.
3: <laughs> and have you a long-term goal to stay in the industry?
10: Yeah, I'd love to kind of make my mark. So I'd love to do a bit of behind the camera and in front. But I'll see where life takes me. I mean, I'm I'm only 16. I still have a lot of years ahead of yeah,
3: me. Yeah, absolutely. You would have been, were you, are you transitioning? you just, you would have been.
10: Yeah, I'm going into fifth year now.
3: Okay, so your transition year came to a very abrupt end in March.
10: You know, it was really sad. Like, we had so many trips coming up and everything, and it just got cancelled.
3: And had the year been going well up to that?
10: Uh, Like, I expected it to be better, but we all knew that the end of the year would be much better because of the trips and stuff. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, like, we did a lot of work um, leading up to the virus, and then we were going to kind of ease a bit with everything going on, all the projects and stuff, but yeah, it's a pity. We can't really do anything about it. Though.
3: Yeah. So the best part of the year was to, was taken from you. And, yeah. when, and, and when, you, when you sit down and reflect, Michael, on what the changes to your life. I mean, what what have you, I mean, obviously the trips you've you missed out on. What else have you missed out on because of the pandemic?
10: Oh, like seeing people, seeing friends and family. Like I have a lot of family in Spain because I'm half Spanish. And I haven't been able to see them in like a year now because we were meant to be going back in April, I think. And obviously Dublin Airport, they, they stopped operating all the flights. Um, but like I haven't been able to sort of, I don't know, just live life to the fullest, if that makes sense.
3: And Spain was a country that r- was really affected by COVID-19. Yeah, I think
10: it was second worst after Italy.
3: Did any Were all of your own family in Spain okay?
10: Yeah, I had a good few cousins actually who uh, contracted the virus. So Mm -hmm. I was able to kind of grab a lot of like details and put it into the movie.
3: And how do you feel then about things like the lockdown and coming out of lockdown and are we coming out of it too fast? Or are, are you of that generation that you're just kind of saying, I'm 16, get rid of lockdown. I want to live my life again.
10: I think now I'm kind of more like that. But like when I made COVID era, I was a bit more the other way, if you get me. Like oh, yeah. I um I'm kind of looking forward to kind of getting back to normality if we ever do.
1: No.
10: But it's, yeah, like I, I'm kind of looking forward to having a routine, a structured, like going to school, uh, going to training, whatever, and just kind of living life normally. And I, I do miss it though.
3: There's still great uncertainty about... Whether you'll go back to school in se- in September, isn't there?
10: There is, like, and and we have to implement social distancing, so it won't be the same. Like, I think for for me, school is a social thing, and it's like I don't know, I can't imagine doing social distancing with my mates.
3: Yeah, it'll be it'll be really hard. And what school do you attend?
10: I'm in Rochester in College. It's it's uh, it's in yeah Rochester. In college. Yeah,
3: that's a big school.
10: Yeah. Yeah, we have about
3: 700 students. Yeah. yeah, how do you do social distancing with, with 700 students? And with that...
10: teachers and everything. yeah,
3: There's so much still to be worked out, I think, before we see uh, what's, what school is going to look like when you do go back. And please, God, you all will be heading back uh, in September. In the meantime, try to enjoy the summer as best you can. Good luck with the film making. Will you be entering this into any film festival?
10: Yes, I hope to enter it into Fastness Film Festival and Fresh Film Festival and the Indie Cork and a few others. Hold on. on. I'm hoping it gets in.
3: The Fastnet Film Festival is a great film festival, isn't it? Yeah.
10: Yeah. Oh yeah, I actually had a film uh, in this year, but because of Corona they've postponed it until next year, so it's pretty sad because it was my like, first kind of really prestigious
3: ah, festival. It's a great, it's a fantastic all the gang in, in Skull. It's brilliant. Okay, yeah. listen, it was a pleasure to talk to you and people oh, can people can thank you so much. No problem. And people can get to see uh Covert uh, era on YouTube. Yeah, they can for now and then it'll be on
10: Amazon soon as well.
3: Okay, listen, good luck with it and thanks a million for joining us. Thanks so much. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Michael Keane there. What a lovely young man. Just uh, 16. He's a teenager from Cove and his uh, little short, it's a short movie. It's only, it's just under five minutes. COVID uh, era. Uh, Just take a look at it on. It is heavy. It's heavy and it's uh, deep but it really sort of reflects on how coronavirus and this whole pandemic and how it affects a young person and a young person's view and attitude on what this country is like uh, post-COVID. COVID-19 When one day we will come out of it all uh, 1850 Bernie is uh, taking your calls you can text our WhatsApp the programme this morning to 0862 103 103. A listener has contacted us via Twitter at C103 Cork saying is anybody else Noticed what it? This listener describes as an awful smell around Mallow Town. It is particularly bad on the main street, and we are getting it all the way out to Oliver's Cross. It's brutal, says this listener. Anybody else noticed an awful smell around Mallow Town and as far out, uh, leaving Mallow Town all the way out to Oliver's Cross? If Anybody else has noticed that? Let us know, or if anybody knows what is the smell, eighteen fifty three 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 one o three. Now let's take a look at some of the stories that are are making the local papers, encouraging people if you're out shopping to please consider picking up a local paper, starting with the Southern Star in their farming section. They have a story for about the current Minister for Agriculture, Michael Creed. The headline reading, he could be a coalition casualty. West Cork farming representatives are less concerned about the identity of the new Minister for Agriculture. The report reads, and they're more focused on whoever holds the portfolio will deliver what's needed for the sector. But speculation has emerged that the current Minister, McCroom's Michael Creed, could be in line for demotion along with the Minister for Justice, Charlie Flanagan, and the Minister for uh, Rural Development, Michael Ring. Also in the Southern Star, the first blue sharks of the year and it's a story by Kieran O'Mahony that the wildlife seen in West Cork waters at the moment have been described as incredible by one local boat operator who caught, measured and tagged the first blue shark in Ireland for 2020 just last week and there's a picture of Conor Riley and Paddy McKeown aboard the Silver Dawn with one of the first blue sharks caught in Ireland in uh, 2020 and staying on a fishy story for the Southern Star a giant sea bass has landed in that landed in Court McSherry over a decade after the West Cork village home to the famed Court McSherry lifeboat fought with the inhabitants of nearby Kilbritton village over the resting place of the 66 foot fin whale and I remember that story so well because I remember we covered it on air I can't believe that it was back in January of 2009 that the giant whale beached itself on Court McSherry uh, bay, and then the argument broke out between Court Mac and uh, Kilbritton as to who should house its uh, remains. So that's making the Southern Star today. Looking at the Mallow Star front page story in the Mallow Star uh, is the Mallow TD Sean Sherlock has called for clarity on the resumption of services for people with disabilities who are service users of organisations like. COPE Foundation and St Joseph's Foundation Sean says that many families are contacting him wondering when the daycare services in particular will resume for their sons and daughters his questions to the HSE show it has been liaising with the service provider and that a tentative framework for the end of June has been discussed for the resumption of services but the services are going to come back on a limited basis, they're certainly not going to be like they were uh, before all of those daycare services closed uh, down that's making the Mallow star uh, today and in the Corkman newspaper Bill Brown is writing up progress on two key Canturk road projects and uh, he writes that a senior Cork County Council official has confirmed that significant progress has been made on two key infrastructure projects in the Kanturk area. Confirmation comes following a request from the local uh, councillor, Bernard Moynihan, for a progress report on the proposed Canturk link road and the planned safety work at McCork cross on the busy N72 between Canturk and Bantir and that um, Ballymacork Cross is something else we've discussed in this programme on many, many occasions. At one stage, it was described as the most dangerous junction in uh, Ireland and the work still hasn't uh, happened. And also in the Corkman, there's a lovely story of the, this has been going on over the past three months. There's been 23 volunteers in Kilbrin who have been giving up their free time on a Sunday to deliver Delicious home baking to older people who are cocooning at home, and they've been doing that right throughout the COVID nineteen uh, lockdown. But a couple of weeks ago, they decided to move the local initiative and spread it out even further and make it bigger and better. And they're they're now getting involved. We're trying to make a country county wide drive to fundraise for Cork Penny Dinners and the Kilburn Parish Appeal launched the initiative last Sunday morning and I'm told they saw a constant flow of people donating perishable goods in home baking and good quality clothes and and I know because we were calling it out here in our community diary they were also looking for cash donations they raised €3,500 Euro as well a fantastic initiative well done to all of the volunteers in uh, Kilbrim also in the Corkman newspaper this is one of those good news stories uh, as well and it's to do with one of North Cork's most iconic buildings it's the two hundred and twenty-year-old former Saint George's Church in mitchellstown that we've had. had um, we've spoken about it on the uh, programme before. Uh, a local group have decided, um, headed up by Bill Power, local historian. They've decided to take over the old church and turn it into a very, very ambitious, dedicated arts and heritage centre. They received fantastic news this week in a massive boost after it's announced it's been allocated a grant of €116,000 on the Department of Heritage Historic Structures Fund. And the money will be used for the repair and reslating of the roof over the next two years. So well done to Bill Power and the rest of the gang there. In the Vale Star, they're also leading with that story from Sean Sherlock about clarity needed on return to daycare services for people with disabilities. And they're also, and let us add our voices and send congratulations to Father Stephen O'Mahony. He's parish priest of Liscarroll in Churchtown Parish and he's celebrating his diamond jubilee of his ordination today. Father uh, Stephen ministered in Mallow many years in the past and the priest wa- and the parish was very sad to see him go but he's celebrating his golden jubilee so congratulations to Father Stephen. The, in Bandon the opinion has oldest cycle dealer in Ireland sells record number of bikes during COVID-19. This is a lovely story uh, it's to do with Joe O'Brien of DNC Cycles in Bandon and he said it's only taken 89 years to create a record in bike sales Uh, and he said it took a world pandemic to bring it about. When the lockdown was introduced, Joe's business is regarded as being one of the essential categories as not only does he sell bikes, but he also services them and keeps a comprehensive range of of, of, uh, parts and he's never sold so many bicycles. It's great the way people have taken up exercising, isn't it, during uh, lockdown and the opinion also running with pay parking suspended in Bandon at a meeting at the Bandon Council Municipal District on Wednesday it was decided by the councillors to suspend pay parking in Bandon for at least three uh, months and the development is going to be welcomed by many shoppers coming into Bandon and now can avail of two hours of unrestricted uh, parking and in the Avendu reports, oh this is a follow on to something actually we covered on the programme it's uh, Emma O'Driscoll, Emma O'Driscoll was living with her family in the mobile home near Kilcrumper Graveyard until recently and she has said the report suggesting the Cork County Council had taken unilateral action to remove the mobile home from the area was not accurate. She says in the avenue today that they have been cooperating fully with the council on this and working with them and that the council actually bought the caravan. She said we signed all the paperwork over to the council and she also says actually we cleaned up the entire road around the caravan before we left. It was spotless and cold completely clean. And the Avenue also running with the story that the South Dock has reopened in for its Fermoy base three months after it was closed due to COVID-19. That's a great news story for Fermoy. And Ballyhooley suffering water shortages after lightning strike and then they were really unlucky because they had a further outage due to a pump failure. Ballyhooley residents have suffered two major cuts to their water supply. First because of the lightning strike and second because of the failure of the pump. Residents contacted the Avenue to raise concerns about the two outages in questioning the reliability of their water supply. And a final story from the Avenue is to do with fibre broadband and a story that says slow progress on the rollout of fibre broadband to rural areas of North Cork was a point of contention during a recent meeting of the Northern Division of Cork County Council. The lack of development on this issue as well as the clear geographical limitations cause frustrations amongst uh, counsellors and I think the lack of broadband it's the one another thing that's been highlighted by COVID-19 with people trying to work from home with children being homeschooled and the adequate broadband has really raised its uh, uh, head you know maybe it's one of the positives maybe because it's shown that the broadband has been so bad that something might happen when we come out of uh, COVID Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. can I quickly look at some more of your text coming into the programme Micah says Patricia hi all the no- noise and all the talk for the past few weeks uh, by women both here and abroad is when will the hairdressers and when will the nail bars and when will the beauticians reopen surely there are more important 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 things in their lives to worry about as you mentioned earlier in your preview with Simon survival check and cancer screening etc will this grand opening be known as June 29th 2020 the day of the long haired uh, March says uh, Michael and actually I was tweeting about it last night when I was thinking about the fact that you know here we were all celebrating that the hairdressers and the barbers were to reopen and the hairdressers and the barbers are reopening ahead of uh, any of the cancer screening, just something doesn't, it just doesn't sit right, does it? That we can lift restrictions for certain sectors and something like cancer screening. St- screening still is not uh, going ahead. It just, it really does uh, worry me I have to say. 1850 103. Now the minute I've mentioned the smell in Mallow I'm saying I can't believe that you're not getting more calls about the smell in Mallow Patricia. It really really is bad uh, today. I'll see if Bernie can, can find out what's going on with the smell. Somebody says yes it's stinking where I live in Mallow. The person doesn't say where the person lives but wherever they live in Mallow. Somebody says it's absolutely stinking at the moment. Hi Patricia and Bernie they say 8% of Cork population are, li- are living or surviving with depression. If you break it down, that's about 40,000 people out of a population of 540,000 people. We need a public debate as to why people are cruelly taking their own lives, leaving only a trail of misery and grief behind. There are many solutions to prevent suicide, mainly by people talking and by people listening. Rally, at the end of, really at the end of the day, all people need is escapism. Escapism from their own situation. Thanks as always and that is is uh, from Martin and Enniskine. Thank you, Martin, and we hope you are keeping uh, well. Uh, hi, Patricia. You mentioned sixth class students and what some schools are doing. Well, my son is finishing sixth class at Drumahan National School. This week, they held a drive-through presentation of certs and a gift pack with an applause by their families. Then last night, they had an online Zoom call graduation presentation of times over the last eight years tours concerts etc It was excellent. Hats off to uh, Mrs. O'Reardon, the class teacher, and the principal Dennis Mur- Murray, and all of the staff. credit to all. Well done. And I'm assuming a lot of the schools are doing something like that. It uh, it's, is, and, and I know the focus should be on all of the pupils, but it's the sixth class ones are the ones I think most people are thinking and worried about, and they are the ones that uh, you know it's that rite of passage and it's their last time in primary school. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a big, big move uh, for them and we do wish them all the best. Now, here's an interesting one and I will very much welcome people's thoughts and comments on this. And I hope I'm not getting to this too late, but it's just come in. I'm wondering... Is there anybody else out there in the same boat as me, says this texter. I simply don't want visitors. I don't want people calling to my house anymore. Now, I used to be the type of person who loved to have people come into my home. All kinds of people, children, old people, it didn't matter. Everyone was welcome. Come one, come all, come in, the tea, a coffee is there. I used to love having visitors, but not anymore. I don't even open the door anymore. Now, I'm nearly 70 and I'm thinking that the virus, probably this pandemic has caused it. Somebody suggested recently calling and would you believe I actually told them a lie to stop them calling to me. I don't live alone. I am lucky that I have my husband with me, thank God. But I'm just happy in my own home, in my own little routine. Am I on my own uh, in this? And You know something, when I read your text, I was thinking, I don't think you're on your own. I, I don't. I think people, some people have taken to cocooning better than others. And I think you've hit the nail on the head in that you're in a lucky situation in that you have company and that you have your husband with you and you obviously like each other's company. And you like your own company. And for some people that works. But it kind of saddens me that you were the type of person that loved the crack and loved having all of the visitors and loved having the house full. And there's nothing to say that you won't go back to that again. Maybe just at the moment you need to continue the cocooning, you need to continue the little bit of isolation maybe it's making you feel a little bit safer because you are at nearly 70 you're just about, you know, in that at risk group, you don't want to get the COVID-19 and you could always say that to people, you know, if somebody is saying you know, or suggesting that they call to you or that you call to them, you can always say to somebody that listen, no, you know, myself and himself we're doing okay, Uh, we're happy to plod along as is and that, you know, one day life will hopefully get back to normal and there hopefully will come a time when you will be able to throw open that front door and welcome everybody back. But for now, for now, you seem to be very happy plodding along and, and life, life is good for you. And there's nothing, there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But I do hope that you get back that sociability that you so loved before because you are missing out by not having people coming and calling and, and being with you. And please, God, you know, this time will pass we just don't know when I know it's going to depend on when we get a vaccine but this time will pass and life will return to normal again but I wouldn't be beating myself up and thinking there's something wrong with you because you suddenly don't want people calling anymore you're happy in your own little bubble and uh, may you continue to be happy in that bubble for as long as you need to be in it but hopefully that bubble will burst and you'll be able to come back out but listen we thank you for contacting us about it because it's an issue that hasn't come up uh, before and I know next week we are hoping to to speak with the senior line because they've obviously seen a huge increase in calls and they're dealing with older people and some older people haven't dealt well well with having to stay on their own, uh, cocooned. And I'll make a note of your text and and, and I'll put that to uh, the expert that we have on uh, next week. But I I would be surprised to hear if you are on your own. I think there will be some people who just like the idea of their own space and remaining at home safe on their own. 1850, thank you for your text. 1850, 333 103, text our WhatsApp 0862 103
2: 103. The C103 Cork Diary.
3: With Cork
1: County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie.
3: And a reminder to you that the Cork Foundation who support over 2,500 children and adults with intellectual disabilities and autism in over 70 locations across Cork City and County. They're fundraising by asking people to complete the Five Peaks a Week Challenge anytime during the month of June. The five peaks are Tool, Galty Moor, the Knockmill Downs, and uh, Knockboy. And they are asking people to walk 12 kilometres or climb 300 flights of stairs. So you can get further details and take part in donations, all available on their website www.cope.com hyphen And the Cork International Hotel, don't forget they've got a fundraising raffle in aid of the Rainbow Club and the Rainbow Club is a Cork charity that helps families living with autism and the lucky winner of this raffle will have excuse, exclusive use of the Cork International Hotel for their family on the weekend of the 10th and 11th of July. And I think it's up to 30 people you can bring with you. Tickets are €20 Euro each. They're limited to 5000 and you check out the Cork International Hotel's Website for further details.
2: Cork today on
3: C one o three.
2: Call Patricia with your comment. 103.
3: Hi Patricia, I feel similar to that lady who texted in saying she doesn't want people calling. It's actually great not to have the pressure of people calling or having to meet up for walks or go out to meet people for coffee. I think I've gotten used to doing my own thing, and believe it or not, I'm quite content uh, with it. Yeah, and I suppose. We all have to live our own lives, our own way, and it's what works for us. Works for you know what what works for you works for you. What works for me, uh, works for me. But I would just, I would just worry and I wouldn't like the idea of somebody becoming so isolated that they never want to meet anybody anymore. You know there's a great big beautiful world out there and lots of lovely people to meet and greet and spend time with that you just have to be careful that you don't get too introverted and that you never want to go back out again. But if it's working for you at the moment and I'm very conscious and aware that people, the virus hasn't gone away. The virus is still out there and there are people from a health point of view who are very worried about contracting it and for that reason I think people like the idea of just staying in their own little bubble and staying with their own group of people and don't want to go any further. So I, do, I really don't have an issue with that at all. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. The smeller on Mallow town, uh, People including Danjo are suggesting it's, it's slurry spreading is going on at the moment. That's all it is. Just get used to it folks. It's the time of the year to be spreading the slurry. Mary. Mallow wonders could it be the sewerage works near Dairy Gold that sometimes causes very bad smells and it could be that. We got other calls in um, saying that people are getting calls. It's a scam, very obviously, from people letting on to be from Amazon looking for money. Godfrey in Mallow heard me mention it and he was on to say he got a call. Um we'd initially got a call saying somebody from Amazon said they owed €399 even though they've never been near Amazon. Um, Godfrey got a call from somebody in Amazon saying he owed €250 and he said they don't deal with Amazon uh, either. But the worry is that a lot of people do deal with Amazon and the fear is that they may, may catch some people so please be very very careful. Amazon are not going to ring you up saying that you owe huge sums of money uh, like that. Just hang up get off the phone call as quickly as possible. Marion Dri- Dripsy is getting the COVID-19 payment and is worried now because she's hearing that it's going to be taxed and is it is taxed at 33%. Uh, it is going to be taxed, I, I don't, certainly haven't heard it being taxed at uh, 33% uh, percent. and it's what will happen is at the end of the year it's deemed income Uh, Not everyone is going to be taxed. Some people are going to be taxed and you'll hear from the taxman as to how much extra money they have deemed that you have earned between earnings and what you got from your COVID-19 payment. But what I have heard, and we are certainly going to be doing Interviews with revenue on this uh, closer to the time, because it 's going to affect so many people, what we 've been hearing so far from revenue is that they 're not going to look for somebody to pay back a lump sum. What will happen is whatever you owe you, it will be taken out in tax over the next year two years, three years, depending on the amount you owe. So they won't come after you for a massive lump sum at the end of the year, but you won't know until the end of the year. It's one of the reasons why anyone who is at work getting a COVID-19 payment is told, has, has noticed they're getting extra money and that extra money is actually tax. So what they're saying to people is put it away. If you've got you know a credit union account or uh, maybe a little post office account or a separate bank account, just put the money away in a savings Account instead, so that next year, then when you're when you find that you're paying more in tax, uh, you'll be able to dip in and out of that, or you may be able to offer the tax man whatever you put away, you may be able to pay it off straight away, but don't. Be panicky, Mary. I certainly haven't heard of thirty-three percent. To me, that sounds very, very high. But yes, will you have to pay tax if you have been working? There is, there is a tax impl- implication from the COVID nineteen uh, payments. 18.50, uh, three. Okay, let me go to our front line. Heroes with Fiona and her Frontline Diaries. This week for Fiona's Frontline diary she spent time with a funeral director. She spoke with Kevin O'Connor of O'Connor's Funeral Home that's on Coburg Street in the city who speaks about how sad and frightening it was at the start of the restrictions and also how people have come up with other ideas to pay their respect to loved ones. And she also talks about whether or not he thinks we'll ever return to the big funerals we had ...before the restrictions came in. Hello, how are you? How are you keeping? What are you after? Smashing
9: day, isn't it? Glorious again, thank God.
3: Uh, my apologies, that's last week's... ...that's last week's Frontline uh, Diary... Um it was meant to have been let me see has it been put in somewhere else it hasn't apologies sorry that's um that's last week's one okay uh, we'll see if we can get that sorted out okay let me go back to uh, some of your calls uh, coming in Caroline wants to know Chloe who we contacted yesterday remember Chloe joined us on the programme because her dogs had been stolen she had two uh Poodles and she hit a at and when I was saying could the dogs have just wandered off and she said no, somebody had actually broken down the gate which had a padlock on it to get into the dogs and the dogs had been stolen in the middle of the night and there was talks that it could have been a white van was involved and we were putting out a message yesterday about a, va- a white van that the the were looking for that was doing the rounds uh, because it was, it had, a, it had an awfully red 10 Zero Y Reg. And they were quite suspicious that it was involved with the the lifting of dogs. And Chloe had actually said that there had been a white van in her area at about half three in the morning, and she thought it could have been linked to that. And she joined us yesterday because she just received a call from the pound in Kerry to say that one of her poodles had turned up in the pound, but there was also a whippet there. So when she was talking to us, she was heading back to uh to the pound in Kerry to f- to find out were the the dogs or not. So we've just rang her. The two dogs in the pound were her dogs and the other one was dropped back to her yard. They must have got too hot to handle because it was all over social media and all over the radio. Oh, listen, that is just absolutely fantastic news. I'm absolutely thrilled uh, to hear that and thank you so much, uh, Chloe, for filling us in on that. Okay, so the dogs are back. So, that's interesting, isn't it? The, the two of them made it to carry, and the other one was dropped back in. Certainly good news, good news in, indeed. Now we have a few other dogs that have gone missing. That we're still trying to uh, find out where they are and we've had no luck on getting them back uh, yet. OK, I've found where Fiona's uh, Frontline Diary is for today. OK, here's Fiona talking with Kevin O'Connor of O'Connor's Funeral at Home on uh, Coburg Street.
8: If you go into a family and they've lost a mum or a dad that, that's hard under any circumstances, but it was particularly difficult at this time because they couldn't have their friends around and really for support, and I suppose the frightening part was as as the as people were great to press the flesh and talk and draw our arms around people. That isn't that wasn't happening now.
4: One of the biggest changes brought about by COVID nineteen is the manner in which we pay our final respects to loved ones. Kevin O'Connor has been a funeral director in Cork for forty years. He says it was a sad and frightening time when the initial restrictions were brought in.
8: I suppose our very first taste of a COVID victim funeral, when we got to the park where the person was living to see the people all lined out. I think as 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 the people were good to shake hands but I, th- I think during this we felt so helpless that we couldn't do anything this was our big way of showing our support for our community or or for the family that had lost somebody and to see people lining the route as you went from the you know maybe the funeral home to the cemetery or to from the house it 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 it, it was actually it was I, I don't like using the word fantastic, but it was lovely to see people standing there just just blessing as the hearse went by. And I think that, that the hardest part was maybe for families that maybe lost somebody to COVID and couldn't attend the funeral. That was very difficult. And I, I remember going towards the wife of one of the victims and I just said, I, I, I'm so sorry, but, but you actually feel so... So helpless that you can't do anything for her. She's so upset. What do, you, what do you say?
4: Kevin says that because of the limit on the number of people allowed to attend a funeral, people have had to come up with other ways to pay their respects and funeral directors have been trying to assist in any way they can.
8: Here in the funeral rooms, what we did was we we actually suggested to families that maybe that the person would lie, lie in the funeral home maybe the day before the funeral mass and that people could come and just pay their respects and to say goodbye. And as long as people didn't all come together and there wasn't a congregation in the funeral home, we were quite happy to do that. Some families, when we brought their loved ones home, they placed them maybe inside a window that neighbors could come, come by outside the window, pay their respects. And, just an Irish solution to an Irish problem.
4: I asked Kevin if he thinks we'll see a return of the tradition of large funerals in Ireland.
8: Even to go from 10 to 25, at least you can have immediate family in, and, and I think will it change the way funerals are going to go in the future? I don't know, but I do think it'll give people more confidence that if they do want a small family funeral, that they will go ahead and have it. And I think, you know, that's nice. A lot of people felt that even though the funerals were small, that it was nice, it was intimate, it was um, it was more about the family as a unit, I suppose, really. But I, I do think that it'll give people more confidence to say, no, I want to do this. Yes, I like that, I don't want that, and that's the way we will be. And, I mean, as funeral directors, we're here to to help people to achieve what they want.
3: Ah, the lovely, lovely man. That's Kevin O'Connor of O'Connor's Funeral Home on Cobourg uh, Street. And that is uh, just... Uh, an example of f- from a funeral director and how tough it has been on a funeral director so good to recognise them in our Fiona's Frontline Diary and thanks to Fiona Corcoran for another great uh, Frontline Diary OK some quickly just some of your texts uh, coming in uh, Patricia the incubation period for COVID-19 is five to six days but she can be up to but it can be up to two weeks that would make testing at the airports or a pre-travel certificate invalid the only way to control our borders safely is to enforce quarantine at the ports of entry in designated facilities for 14 days as other countries have done insisting that quarantine and the wearing of masks be compulsory will be the only way to control the virus spread. Why are the government so reluctant to implement these solutions as the longer the virus is present the longer it will take for life and the economy to be restored to normal says a texter somebody else on travel says Patricia you were discussing holidays on the programme this week well I've just got an email from Erlingus offering me the option to reschedule or to apply for a voucher if uh, flights between the 1st and the 19th of July and booked before the 31st of March delight delight it says this Dexter I can apply for a voucher instead of trying to uh, reschedule it and yesterday we had somebody who was questioning whether or not to renew their health insurance, their health insurance was she is due up in August, and they were querying with everything that had happened with the private hospitals going under the control of the HSC. Even though the end of this month, they're coming back out uh, of the HSC and they're back under the uh, control of the consultants. Um, But this listener was saying, why am I paying for health insurance? And I had said, be very, very careful about cancelling your health insurance. And that's backed up by an email from somebody who says, please don't call out my name. But just just a word of warning for listeners who are considering cancelling their health insurance insurance policy. I was with VHI for years and I had a two week break of payments through an error on my own behalf. On rejoining with VHI I was told I would have to wait a further five years before they would cover my expenses for a pre-existing condition that I had. So if you have a pre-existing condition and you break your cover with any of the health insurance companies then they won't cover the cost of the pre-existing condition for the next five years. I ended up paying a small fortune for treatment all because I had a two week break with them please tell people be very very careful before cancelling health insurance please don't call out my name thank you for that that was emailed to Patricia at c103.ie and just a couple of texts in on the lady who is enjoying cocooning along with her husband and is enjoying not having anybody calling and has actually lied to somebody this week who wanted to call they just didn't want them anywhere near the house and she's just very happy in her own home in her own space with her own hobby and doesn't want anybody uh, calling Sheila says Hi Trish that woman certainly tell her she isn't on her own with the view of wanting to stay home I am a very sociable person indeed but I can also be happy on my own. I went into isolation actually three weeks before lockdown. I live on my own and I often go more than two weeks without seeing anyone. I have my phone and my laptop to stay in touch. And to tell you the truth, I'm having a ball, living in isolation, doing what I want to do when I want to do it. I don't like the idea of lockdown ending. It's been a lovely time to connect with God and nature and to connect with myself. Undoubtedly, we will Eventually get back to normal. But as long as people are still dying from COVID-19, I'm staying put, says uh, Sheila. And somebody else says, maybe the lady who initially contacted you would be happy uh, on her own, who was happy on her own. Maybe she could meet people by appointment and have a person's day, just one day a week. But your day certainly can be ruined when, uh, by, by when all in sundry decide to drop in willy nitty people shouldn't be doing that. You should come by appointment only. Anyway, thank you for those uh, texts and comments. 1850 Going to take a break and we're back talking movies with Mark. Record today on Scene 103.
2: Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086
3: 103, 103. Uh, My apologies. We're very late going to Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. Okay, you went, uh, you've got some movies that you have watched for us. The King of Staten Island and The Personal History of David. David Copperfield will not we start with The King of Staten Island
1: um, Yes why not um, this comes from uh, Judd Apatow who I suppose is traditionally known for making kind of these really kind of gross out kind of comedies and it's not really too much of that although occasionally there are uh, you do notice that every now and then if you hear a kind of gross-out kind of uh, gag or, or, or joke in the film, you know that that's from Judd Apatow because he has co-written this with a guy by the name of Pete Davidson, uh, who I suppose is pretty much well mostly known for um, his um, his work on Saturday Night Live and, um, and his private life, which tends to make, uh, you know, the papers uh, quite often. And uh, so they are co-writers here, and basically it's kind of a a semi-autobiographical kind of look at uh, Pete Davidson's life, who basically is kind of playing himself in this film. And he's a bit of a kind of a ne'er-do-well, sits around a lot just, uh, you know, smoking pot for most of the day, watching television. Uh, he lives with his mom. He um, lives with his younger sister, who is going off to college very shortly. For example, a very good example of the kind of the, the way he is and the way he thinks is his younger co- sister is going to college, and they're telling him to say goodbye to her, and he's watching SpongeBob SquarePants, and he wants to see the end of SpongeBob SquarePants before going out to his sister, because that's the way he thinks. He's living at home with his mom. He's 24 years of age. And there's lots of jokes about him being middle-aged and still living at home, although he constantly kind of tries to uh, you know, tell people that he's only 24. And um, his father has passed away. His father was a fireman who, um, during a an heroic act um, during a fire, lost his life. And the reason why it's autobiographical is that that actually did happen to Pete Davidson. Pete Davidson's oh. brother uh, was a fireman uh, who died in nine eleven, 11 And uh, he was a very young boy when that happened. And that has affected his life um, uh, throughout. Since,
8: yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, since. And uh, so therefore, it basically, I think, you know, Pete Davidson here is playing himself. And, um, um, you know, he just kind of basically is just kind of bumbling through life. Um, he lives with his mother, as I said, Marisa Tomai. And then uh, one day um, she starts a relationship with a man who is also a police officer, uh, not a police officer, a, a fireman. And um, but of course, as you can imagine, Pete Davidson doesn't really deal with that uh, particularly well. And uh, so the film is really about this kind of journey that he has whilst he's trying to get his kind of life sorted out and his relationship with his mother, his sister and uh, this man played by Bill Burr brilliantly, with huge, gigantic uh, ginger moustache, uh, comes into his life. Um, you know, it's very poignant because of the fact that I think it's so true to life. I think basically it is the, his, his, the story of Pete Davidson's life, you know, which is then um, kind of brought to the screen uh, comedically by himself and Judd well, so It's very
3: brave of him to do that.
1: I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you do wonder, uh, you know, if this is his way of kind of dealing with it, to kind of put this on screen. And so it's a kind of a drama with a lot of comedy elements. And even the comedy, when it does happen, kind of catches it by surprise because it is kind of deep and kind of meaningful. And, um, you know, it's, it's it's a kind of a lovely story. Certainly, I think from early on, you know how it's going to work. It's about 20 minutes too long. I remember when it was about 20 minutes to go, I thought it was finished. And then it kind of took another little quick kind of turn in the storyline, which kind of caught me by surprise and kind of disappointed me. And I just thought, no, it would have been better to have 20 minutes maybe sliced off it. But other than that, I think it's very entertaining. It's very funny. As I say, it's very poignant and um, very you, true to life. You enjoyed you know, it. And I enjoyed it very, very much indeed. It is an adult comedy, though, I should point out. So uh, it's not something you would watch for the kids.
3: Okay, Mark, ten. I give it eight. Eight out of ten. Okay, and it's called The King of uh, Staten Island. Now, the personal history of David Copperfield. We're talking Charles Dickens here, are we? Yep.
1: Uh, yeah. Yes, it's 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 a, and some very much kind of a modern take on again a semi autobiographical novel uh, by Dickens about basically his life, and uh, it's another costume drama. Yes, I'm. I'm watching another costume drama. <laughs> beginning to, Lockdown yeah, is beginning changing to like, you. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, yeah. And uh, it's very much kind of a modern kind of retake in the sense that the casting here is what they call colorblind casting, which basically mm-hmm. means that it doesn't make any difference who you are or where you're from. You know, it all depends on whether or not you're a good actor. So the um, story and the film is populated by black actors, Asian actors, Irish actors. It doesn't matter. And in fact, uh, Charles Dickens, here is played... Uh, beautifully by Dev Patel, who of course is from an Indian background. And he's very, very good indeed. And it's basically about, you know, the story of, um, Dickens' life really as a young orphan who then, you know, through obstacles and, and hardship kind of slowly but surely manages to kind of make his way into the upper echelons of kind of society in Dickensian kind of, uh, London at that time. Uh, it's a bit like M in the sense that uh, you know the, the sun shines the whole time here, which is very odd. So it's got that kind of very kind of bright kind of look to it. This is not your Dickensian kind of London dark, of snow
3: yeah. And
1: yeah. Uh, you know what I mean. In fact, it was made I think through the you know sunny summer of 2018. So again, it's got this beautiful light touch. It's it's kind of a very modern kind of take on it. Um, it's got a terrific cast, um, and it all works. I mean, you know, there has been criticism because of the casting, but I don't believe that at all. I mean, that's nonsense. And uh, because of that, I think the film is very colorful. It looks great. It's funny. Um, and there are times when it gets a little bit maybe too modern for its own good. There's a bit of split screening going on. There's a bit of kind of Benny Hill kind of speeded up kind of comedy elements as well, which it didn't really, really need. But if you love this kind of thing, if you love that era, if you, um, I, you know They want to know more about Dickens and uh, David Copperfield. Then this is the movie for you. I loved it. I thought it was absolutely terrific.
3: Okay, and it's called The Personal History of David Copperfield. So mark it out of ten. I'll give that a good 9 9 out of 10 alright yeah. ok listen thank you for that and have a lovely week and You're we'll sure. chat again next week that is uh, Mark Malone our movie reviewer the personal history of David Copperfield what was the name of the first movie that Mark spoke about the first movie was called The King of uh, Staten Island ok uh, almost time for me to wrap it up thank you too um, there's a lot of texts and whatsapps come in and my apologies that we didn't get to all of them including some people talking about the Cork Limerick motor way and the news coming if you listen to the Greens it doesn't look like the Cork Limerick motorway is going to go ahead and people not very happy about it at all. We didn't get to get into the get into that topic in much detail today but we're going to be returning to it and we will I promise you. Uh, we'll be talking about it on the programme on Monday okay so stick with us on that one we'll talk about it on Monday somebody wants to know has the McCroom bypass uh, started I don't know for sure uh, John and Clonakilty was asking about this I know certainly at the turn of the year all of the contracts were signed uh, and everything is the 280 million euro project to build the N22 dual carriageway that'll bypass uh, McCroom and Ballyvorney. I would assume because of COVID-19 a lot of those works stopped the project was ready to start uh, I'll see if we can find or something about that over the weekend, but I I would assume it's probably went on hold because of COVID nineteen. But a lot of those building projects are back up and running. But definitely the contract the contract was signed for that at the end of uh, last year. That's the bypass in uh, McCrew. Okay, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to Bernie Murphy who worked on the program today. Bernie's back with us again on Monday morning. We have Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. I'll talk to you on Monday. Look after yourself. I'm